Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Hello there, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable. It's so great to be back. I've had a a week or two off. I was on vacation, and it was so great of you to come back and join me today. I'm really, really happy. We have a wonderful guest. Today, we are going on another mission as usual, and our guide is Michelle Amson. Michelle is an entrepreneur. She's an LGBTI human rights activist, keynote speaker. She's a workshop facilitator and a documentary filmmaker. She's openly out transgender woman who crossed the pond from England and is now currently residing in Muskoka, Ontario, which is in Canada, for those of you who don't know. Uh, Michelle transitioned late in life at the age of 50, and today at 56, we're going to find out how life is treating her. Michelle says that one is never too old nor too young to step into their true authentic selves and live the life they deserve without being bound by outdated social constructs of gender identity and sexuality. And I think that she is proof of those words. So welcome to Mission Unstoppable, Michelle. Oh, thank you, Frankie. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. You know, it truly is my pleasure. Um, I, I wrote a book about midlife, and <laughs> and I say that midlife is a time for transformation. And I think if we haven't done it before then, then midlife, you know, that midlife crisis, if, if that's what they call it, I, I, I coined it a metamorphosis, actually. Um, it does it for us. And I'm not saying that maybe you had yours at 50, but uh, what do you think? You're living your truth today, which is what I believe happens when we transition to that. So what would you say? Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, I think my midlife crisis, if we want to call it that, last uh, oh, it was almost 20 years, I think, so um, 10 years. So 20 years ago, 1997 was a pivotal year. And that's really when I come to realize that life is a gift mm. and it's a gift to us. And uh, we have a choice and we have a choice as to how we live it. Um, and and how we show up in the world. And in 1997, um, in uh, just before her 30th birthday, I lost my sister to cancer. Oh, sorry. And uh, yeah, thank you. But one of the really key things there was it's it suddenly dawned on me that I have a choice. I have some choices left right up until the time I meet my demise. Mm-hmm. Uh, choices that she doesn't have. Right. So Mm -hmm. she doesn't have the choice of life. She doesn't have the choice of how she shows up or who she is or what she does or or, you know, uh, how she lives her life. And and that was a pivotal moment for me. But it still took me 10 years to have the courage to really face what I was going through Um, and uh, and then start my journey of, of actually stepping into my authentic self. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a really great point, because, you know, when you're faced with mortality, 
And you, you and even at midlife, you know, we, I, I say that you have maybe 30 years to live forward or 40 if people are lucky, but they've lived a lifetime behind them. And you look back and, and you go, wow, that went in a blip. And and so your choice to, to be authentic and to live as yourself, uh, that was a good wake up call. You know, it was it was I could totally see how that would be that you needed to step out and be you. And, and be seen as you. And you wrote to me and you said that you, you, don't, um, you don't transition from a man to a woman. You were always a woman. You just had to show up <laughs> and claim <laughs> That's exactly her. right. Yeah, it is. It's exactly right. Um, you know, I've always known who I was. Uh, I just had no frame of reference growing up in the 60s in, uh, in suburban England. Um, and, and we had no internet. You know, there was no Google. I couldn't do that kind of stuff. And, and so I had no frame of reference to try and figure out what on earth was going wrong with me. And so what I did was I internalized it uh, in a very, very negative way for many, many years. Um, and, and, you know, that was my struggle, but, you know, I've always been a woman. It just took me almost 40 years to stop dressing up as a guy. <laughs> well, you did marry and you had a family, you had, you raised stepchildren. You said, what was your wife? Like, what was the woman that you chose? What, what was she like? She you, was seem, an, you, you seem to me just before you say, tell us, like, you, you just seem very serene and, and mild mannered and, and. You know, it could that I don't know you that well, so that could be you know the front that you put on. But I, I think that's who you are. So, what's a woman like? Yeah, I don't put on fronts anymore. That's one of the key yeah. things that that's you know stepping into that. But she was an amazing, amazing woman, and we had almost twenty five years together um, uh, before I completely blew up her world with revealing who I truly was. And so, you know, one of the worst things that I, I had to deal with, and so did she in a very big way, was the deceit, right, yeah. and the lies. Now, it wasn't that I was uh, malicious in that deceit. It wasn't that I intentionally set out to deceive anybody. Yeah. Um, quite the reverse, uh, in fact, quite the reverse, because, you know, what I did as I internalized that as a child, what I did was I, I realized what I needed to do to show up and survive in the world. And mm. to survive, uh, you know, going through puberty, which was a nightmare first time, much more fun second time, <laughs> uh, nightmare the first time, uh, you know, showing up in the world and how do I become accepted and, um, you know, my family was kind of fragmented and broken. Um, and I, I spent, you know, a lot of time trying to be accepted by my parents and by my peers and so on. And, and that acceptance was very important to me. And I, you know, in hindsight, I can see how um, I elected to do everything that was expected of me. Uh, which was, of course, to uh, to have a family, and uh, and and I loved that family dearly, and I still do. Um, did did, so, did you play sports? Did you go to boarding school? Did you like how? What kind? Did people think that you were a strange man, or did they just think you were a geek? Or how, how would you have described the man that you were? That what people saw every day. The, well, the what people saw, are. of course, was a facade. Sure, yeah, the facade. Right, mm -hmm. was that facade. And like I said, I would, I would be a chameleon. 
uh, ah. during that time, right? Yeah. So yeah. I would be whatever you needed me to be gotcha. for us to have a relationship. Now, when I say relationship, I don't necessarily mean intimate. I'm, no. I mean any relationship yeah. between two human beings, right? Exactly. And so absolutely, I, you know, I was, a, I was a comedian. I would do whatever you okay. needed me to do uh, in order to be accepted within your circle. Now, having said that too, um, what was I like back then? I, you know, I was always into theatre. Uh, oh. I was into photography. I was, um, you know, this combination. Uh, I had this duality, and I still do actually, uh, of the creative as well as the uh, analytical. So very much right brain, left brain. There's a balance with me and I kind of live between those two things and bring them together, which is what I love doing. That's nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I would have been, uh, probably, uh, fairly shy, quiet, uh, not overtly social, mm -hmm. um, somewhat driven, um, uh, and, uh, but, but often isolated, right? Because, you know, burning inside of me was mm. this this uh, dysphoria, right? We we actually yeah. refer to it as that term of gender dysphoria, right. and it very much was dysphoria. It was dysphoric. It was painful. It was hard, um, and I I took on the role of society, and and I judged myself, and I judged myself very hardly, uh, very harshly, and um, and you know that affected how I showed up because it was critical to me that I could not reveal uh, any hint of my femininity, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So even as a child, you know, growing up, any sign of that um, was, um, was, was knocked back. And in fact, even my name, this is an interesting one. So even my name, and I'd rather not refer to my old no, one, that's but, fine. Um, but Michelle was actually a name that my father used um, when he was referring to any sort of hint of my femininity. So in a very oh. derogatory way. Right? Wow. And wow. I actually chose to take that name back because for most of my life, I disliked it dreadfully. Right. Yeah, Michelle yeah. was just a dreadful name to me. Was... And um, and so I chose to take that back and enjoy it. Yeah. Nice. I love that. <laughs> I like that a lot. So we're, we've got. I guess maybe two minutes, I think. I'm thinking since you gave me the three-minute warning here that we're going to go to a commercial break. So I don't want to get into the whole big thing, but I do want to know uh, when we come back from that, let's talk about the day, the hour, the minute when it was like, I'm done. I'm done. And I'm going to be Michelle from now on. So I want to, I want to go there. The, the losses, I mean, like you talked about the deceit. The deceit was, you know, that you, that you were a woman, but would you say the love was real? The love for your family was real? The love that you had for your children and your wife was real? That oh, my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, there, was, there was nothing fake about that. That's genuine, and I still love them, all of them, to this yeah. day. I do. And what's most painful is what you shared with me is that you lost everybody. I did. Yes. And, and what, what a sad affair when, when people can't see beyond their, their prejudices to, to look at a human being that they loved and lived with and laughed with, um, and, and can't see them. Oh my gosh. True. But looking at it from the other perspective, um, you know, that's a big thing to deal with. And when that person that you love, right. I'm thinking of this from my, um, my ex-wife's perspective here, you know, when the person that you love is suddenly showing up and saying, actually, that's not me. This is me. Right. 
Right. Right. They didn't buy into that at any point in time. Did they ever buy into that? And so that's that's a big shift uh, for people to to embrace and to deal with. And the closer you are, right, in that first circle yes. of influence, uh, the closest, uh, the closer you are, the harder it is uh, to accept that change. So it's very rare for couples to survive the transition of a partner. I'm not, I, I'm, not, I'm not thinking that you would survive the transition, but I'm thinking that the relationship wouldn't end as far as I still know you, you're still my friend, I still care about you. I, I think that that's for me is, is the harder part. You know, I mean, my best friend came out as gay and, and he never told me, never, never. He actually didn't even really come out until one day I'm living with this guy now. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. He never actually said the words. And yet, you know, he was my friend and I loved him and nothing ever changed. We're going to commercial break. Don't go away. Michelle has a lot more to talk to us about and we're going to want to hear it. So stick around. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. It's marching Whenever we hear a recording of our own voice, it always sounds different than we think. This is because the bones in our skull create a resonance from within that makes our voice sound deeper to us. But our recorded voice is how others hear us. I'm sure I'm not the first person who has uttered the words, I really don't sound like that. Do I? Margaret Thatcher famously underwent vocal training to lower her voice and make her sound more statesmanlike. Recently, British Airways polled Americans and Britons to see who they believed had the sexiest voices. Morgan Freeman was voted number one. If a judge loves the sound of his own voice, expect a long sentence. What's a word for a person who loves to hear the sound of their own voice? A philodox. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Whether you call it love handles, muffin top, belly fat, or spare tire, all describe body fat around the midsection. When abdominal muscles are tight and defined, it looks great. But in most cases, excess fat seems to conjugate around your middle, and it's big and flabby. If you think that working out on abdominal machines, like the ones sold on TV or in the gym, will rid your body of love handles, think again. You cannot spot reduce. You can't do thousands of crunches and expect to get a flat, tight abdomen. Belly fat is exactly that, fat around your belly. And the way to lose fat is through aerobic exercise and a low-calorie, low-fat diet. You can drop those love handles by losing weight through cardio exercise and continue toning the abs through safe abdominal crunches. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. And we're back. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and my guest today is Michelle Empson. And before we went to break, we were talking about the breakdown of Michelle's marriage when she finally uh, came out and told her wife and family that she was indeed a woman and needed to live that fact. So, Michelle, do you remember the? you, you told me just off here that, that the marriage, you guys went on another three years. You struggled through those three years to try to come to terms, I guess, with what was going on. And, and you said to find a cure. 
try to get cured. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I spoke to a therapist in 2008. This was the very first time I had spoken to another living soul about the way I felt Mm -hmm. and what I was dealing with. Um, And it took me a long time, actually, uh, in therapy, dealing with issues before I had the courage to even do that. And then following that, it was, you know, I, it, it, when I shared that news and I shared it um, the day of um, uh, with my wife and, you know, by that point I was convinced that she must know something was, mm-hmm. was amiss, right? Mm-hmm. But she wasn't. She had no clue, no idea. And so that day uh, in May 2008, I just blew her life apart. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, family was, still remains dear to me, even though we're, we're estranged. And, and it was important to me. And I, I did, I did try, I worked hard. I worked in therapy. We, we sought all sorts of crazy ideas, trying to find a cure. And I, and I would do this. I would go into my therapist's office and I would sit down and I'd be crying and I would be pleading to give me a cure because I knew that I was going to lose everybody. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I did, I did, I did try that. And, um, yeah, of course the only cure is to step into your, your true self yeah. and to own it. And, but it just took me a while to, to, to come to that realization, I guess, and, and see that that was the path forward for me. Had that therapist ever met someone who was transgender? Uh, that's a controversial issue, actually, because I didn't have a great experience with a number of therapists. Um, but I did eventually, and it's actually it was almost two years later, a year later, uh, found a therapist actually in my hometown. I'd been oh, really? searching every, oh my gosh, I was going everywhere. I was driving halfway across the province. Oh my gosh. Uh, trying to work with, uh, trying to find a therapist who had that experience so that I felt safe to come out. Yes. Um, and quite by accident, quite by accident, I found that therapist to be right in my hometown of Melton. It was wow. incredible. So we had a great relationship. We did a lot of great work. And uh, the result of that work was me. Uh, yeah. You see me you see and you. how I am yeah. today. Right. So. Because uh, I just have to think that that therapist that you saw in the beginning when you were pleading with him, you know, just should have looked at you and said, there is no cure. There's not a cure for this, right? They remind, like Vice President Pence, when he went through his, you know, gay cure and wants all the gay people in the world to go through the cure now. Um, come on. Like, we don't believe you. There is no gay cure. <laughs> there is no cure. There's no gay I'm, cure. No, You're there gay is and, no gay sorry. cure. There's no trans cure. It's not out there. And in yeah. fact, you know, a comical thing here is transition for me was a year. Uh, so 2011 in its entirety was my transition year. And I went to see my therapist at the end of that. I think it was in December. And I hadn't been seeing her very much during that year. I just didn't need it, right? I was good yeah. and I was going. Um, but, you know, I again, I walked into her office and I sat down, uh, the confident woman that I am, and said, please, you know, give me a cure. You know, give me the cure. A bit tongue-in-cheek. Yes. And she did not bat an eyelid. She just sat there and said, I think we've done that. <laughs> right? <laughs>
<laughs> I think we've done. And she was absolutely right. You know, the, yes. the only right path, and we know that now, um, is is to transition, is to, uh, and the social transition, which is the biggest part of all of that, um, and to step into your power, step into your th- authentic self. Uh, and it's incredibly liberating. It's hard. Don't get me yes. wrong. It's oh, a yeah. brutal journey, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Um, but it's also incredibly liberating. And you know, that, I'm glad that you said that because one of the arguments that I that it, you know when people when especially oh probably early like like you 90s in the 90s and, and early 2000s when people would talk about. Uh, uh, gay pride, or they would talk about people who are gay, and they go, "Well, why don't they get a cure? Why don't they? Why, you know, why? Why are they doing this? Like, why don't they just, you know, cure themselves or stop pretending or whatever?" And I'm like, "Why would somebody put themselves through this if it wasn't real? Like, nobody in their right mind would do that. It's too difficult. You know, nobody wants the whole world raining on on their parade and and hating them and 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 beating them up and doing all kinds of horrible things to them if if it wasn't who they were." Like it just boggles the mind that that people would think that people are pretending. Absolutely. And you know what? There's three aspects to this. So there's there's our gender identity, which is our innate sense of self, right? And that's between the ears. That's in our brain. It's in our mind. It's in our soul. And it's in our heart. Um, There is our sexual orientation, which is very, very separate. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there is our gender expression. And gender expression is how we show up in the world. This is the only one that is a choice. Right. Right. The other and, two and, are and not your choice choices. was that you showed up previously in men's clothing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from your because you are so empathic and, and you were able to see from your wife's your ex-wife's point of view, what was she feeling other than hurt and betrayal? What what was some of the, the thoughts that went through her that that really um, because I'm sure there's other people listening and they want to, you know, they're going to go through this or have gone through this uh, with partners. What were her arguments? What, what did she reel against? I think there were two things, really. Um, she had a very clear vision of us growing old together. Okay. Right? And how how the rest of the li- our lives were going to play out, and where we were going to be, and what we were going to be doing, and uh, you know, and all this sort of thing. We we had you know just the best time together. We did, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so that was one thing. Because what I did immediately was to blow up that vision. Right. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, that security, that safety that I'd worked hard to create for her and for the family was now gone. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing which is really critical here is that it had an impact on her own sense of identity. It called into right. question her identity, right? Uh, yeah, that's where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and you know. That's... So does she feel like, does she think, oh, my God, I'm a lesbian? Well, and absolutely adamant that she wasn't. Right. 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 And, you know, what she needed and what she wanted was her husband what she did not want was another girlfriend. She didn't need right. a girlfriend, right? right? And she didn't need it. Definitely wasn't into uh, into having a wife, not at all. Right. And and so you know, my actions impacted her sense of identity and also the perception of her identity in society. So you know, she was very concerned, of course, by how others around her in society and in the community generally 
with what they would think of her as a result of what I'd done here and the relationship that we had. Right. So really, you know, it was, it was totally no go as far as she was concerned. And, um, and I was the bitch that stole her husband. Mm-hmm. And she actually said it would have been easier if I'd have had an affair, right? Yes, she could but, have blamed. Yeah, yeah, right. She could have blamed the other she woman. Could, you don't want to go screaming at, at the world. Well, my husband, <laughs> right, no, my exactly. wife. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that and that just yeah, and that just totally was not going to work for her. And I totally yeah. get that. I, How old was, was she? She's uh, she was eight years older than me. So <gasps> she yeah, was. She oh, that's even 50, harder. Fifty-eight. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and, yeah. and, and I, I, so the other, I could see where she's like, "You stole my youth, and and how am I going to get a guy now?" Right. And go in the future. Yeah, I totally exactly. see that. So too. There, was, there was a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and the children. The children were what age? Oh, the children were in their forties. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so, so grown-ups and able to make up their own mind if they wanted to. They were, um, but of course, their allegiance was with their mother, right? Right. And, sure. and I was the person that had inflicted incredible pain and hurt uh, on their mother, and, and so they chose, you know, quite naturally and, and probably quite rightly, because I, I think we mentioned their stepchildren. So they were uh, eleven and thirteen, I think, when we got together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I raised them through those those years, and also yeah. the Six grandchildren oh my um, gosh. that I miss desperately. Yes. Um, and uh, and so they, you know, naturally they aligned themselves uh, with their mother and supported their mom. Um, and uh, and so yeah, uh, they all moved back to uh, to England, um, and uh, and I haven't uh, really heard of them since. Well, there is you know, good news on this horizon, that you are now engaged and you're engaged to Elena Semenova and she is Ukrainian born LGBTQI human rights activist and also the world kettleball champion and coach. And you met her at Gay Pride in Toronto? Yes. So I met her at World Pride in Toronto at 2014. So Toronto Pride hosted World Pride. Um, and and also hosted the uh, World Pride Human Rights Conference. Oh, okay, great. And um, uh, an Oakville company, um, um, Zakova Vodka, uh, importing Ukrainian vodka uh, into Canada, they uh, very much aligned themselves with the LGBT and uh, had been long-term uh, supporters. And what they did was they sponsored four Ukrainian activists to come across and participate in the Human Rights Conference. Uh, otherwise, Ukraine wouldn't have had a voice at the conference. And um, and they asked me, it's a long story, but I'll shorten it, they asked me to, uh, to video uh, the week. And mm-hmm. yeah, so kind of do a little fly on the wall documentary just to capture everything that was going on because they'd created, you know, there were TV interviews, there were radio interviews, there was a, you know, a lot of meetings, a lot of conferences, stuff like that. And so I got, uh, I came along and I committed a week to doing that. Um, and of course, Elena was one of the four. And uh, at the end of the Pride March, which was brutal in that beautiful day that it was, but it was hot and I'm carrying a camera all day, almost six or seven hours. And uh, we crashed. Hair didn't look so good at the end. <laughs> oh, no, I, I did not look so good at the end. And we crashed at the after party and uh, and sat next to each other. And the rest of us is history. Yeah. So we've been together since then. Wow. And so we went on actually to make 
Pride of Ukraine, which is a documentary about the Pride movement uh, in Ukraine. And um, and that was created out of that, you know, the the week here in Toronto was the catalyst for that. And we then between us decided to make something bigger than just a fly on the wall dock. We are going to commercial break. Yeah. And when we come back, we can talk about that. Your second film was Transgender Life in Slovenia. And that was, yes, it was. 2016. So yes. we can talk a little bit about those when we get back. Don't go anywhere. We've got more to come. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. It's words you never heard. Have you heard about Mel and Joy Schwanke, a Nebraska couple that have worn matching outfits for the last 35 years? Apparently, they have over 140 matching outfits, all custom-made, which typically match her dress with his tie. The couple is a match made in heaven. Neither one of them can remember the exact date they started this quirky tradition, but they both contend it's one of the elements that have held their marriage together an impressive 65 years. What do you call a marriage between well-matched people? No Nomagamosis. Mr. and Mrs. Schwanky say that Velcro connects them because they do everything together. If you like doting on your wife with excessive fondness, you would be uxorious. And a woman who is excessively devoted to her husband is maritorious. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Even with all the research that's available to us, I still hear women ask if weightlifting will make them masculine. The truth is, rather than causing women to build bigger muscles, weight training generally creates a tighter physique. Doing weights properly and consistently will give you firmer legs, shapelier and sculpted arms, in addition to a flatter abdomen. When I am working with women clients, we always include weightlifting in our fitness program because instead of making them look bigger, we sculpt their body to make them look smaller and tighter. Men, on the other hand, have much more testosterone than women, and when men lift heavy weights, they actually grow larger and stronger. It's been said that women produce one-tenth of the amount of testosterone that men produce, so the effects of weight training are very different. Include weightlifting in your daily exercise and enjoy the results. I'm Annette Hammond. Well, we mentioned two of the documentary films that Michelle uh, produced, The Pride of Ukraine 2015, which premiered at the Canadian Embassy in the Ukraine, and her second, Transgender Life in Slovenia. Now, you did this through Sanctuary Studios, which is your your business. You have a, a social enterprise, web design, digital marketing business that you, uh, you know, that's your daily job, I guess. Yes, it is. And 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 so you you make documentary films and you help people make websites and and you you market to women and and as well as LGBT and um, it helps you know thrive I guess your activism roles that you do and pay for pay for those. Yes, as, as you go about your, you know, the, act, yeah, the activism work that you do, but your daily life, everybody has to pay the rent. Yeah, we have to pay the rent. And, uh, you know, activism isn't cheap. There isn't a lot of funding out there. Uh, yeah. And um, and I'm independent, so I'm not tied to any one organization. Uh, and, 
And and so what I did, and it, this really only happened last summer, last fall, was I just realized that I had these islands of activity that were going on. You know, I had the studio. We were doing video production, photography, some web design and stuff like that. That was happening. I had my activism and advocacy work, and I also had my documentary films. And, and it just made sense all of a sudden to bring these things together uh, under the one umbrella uh, and just simplified things. But also it found that synergy, right? So on the one hand, we excel at what we do in terms of serving particularly female entrepreneurs is, mm-hmm. is primarily uh, our client base, um, actually exclusively our client base. Yes. And um, and so we serve them in terms of giving them a web presence and their digital marketing and, and all of that other good stuff. And the money that we raise from that, the, you know, we, we con- contribute to the cost and offsets the costs of the activism and advocacy work um, and indeed uh, sponsors in some part the production of documentary films. And obviously we apply for grants and we look for other uh, funding sources to help us with that. Uh, but nevertheless, we bring it together. And then the, the last piece which really only came together just before um, uh, back in the in the fall was that we seek to employ lgb and particularly t skilled people who are unable to employ their skills in their local marketplace due to fear or discrimination or harassment or whatever um you know so finding a job for me after transition was very difficult and i started the studio as a way of of you know, paying the rent, right? Sure. Because I couldn't actually at that point get a meaningful job. Um, because? But, uh, because of prejudice, because of prejudice and discrimination. And it's it's sub, uh, subversive discrimination. So it's not something that anybody publishes or it's out there. It's just that the opportunities don't come our way. And, and I'm not alone in this. I'm not. Even here in Canada, um, now, I do know that uh, many very successful trans people that are working in great jobs doing amazing things, but I've really seen that change happen only over the last five years or so. And is uh, this because of outward appearance? I mean, that's really all they could go on, isn't it? Well, it's not really about outward appearance so much as it's just, you know, if, if you think about it, you know, you're an HR executive, uh, you're going through all of those resumes uh, and you sort of pick out the, the candidates. And then the next thing you're going to do, particularly today, is you're going to Google them. Right. Mm-hmm. Find out and you're going to check on Facebook, see what their, um, mm-hmm. you know, what their background looks like. Uh, check out their LinkedIn. And by that time, I was openly out and I was sharing my story. And so I was everywhere. Yeah. So and then when you're making a selection process, you know, you're looking at skills, you're looking at resources, experience, but you're also looking at other factors. And Mm -hmm. even though the legislation may stop you from discriminating against age, race, religion, gender identity, sexual orientation, it happens. We know it happens. Right. Um, And and so that's a situation. So I know uh, many very highly qualified uh, trans people who are now in in barely minimum wage jobs. And we actually saw this in a study that was done called TransPulse wow. uh, that found the vast majority of trans people, particularly trans women, uh, are earning less than $15,000 a year oh my here in Canada. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see at your, the age that you were, at, 50, at 56 even, you know, um, for myself, it would be difficult to go and get a job. 
Yes, it would. No matter and, what my skills, because of course they're going to look at you. Hey, you know what? I can get somebody in early thirties, late twenties who look great and have much more energy than you, and you know they're going to go uh, and do that same job. Absolutely, and it, you know when you look at it, I was a director of IT, so it was very much a male dominated, yeah. male oriented uh, field. Um, nowhere near enough women getting into IT or into uh, senior uh, positions in, in, in IT. So not only did I have my age, I was a woman. I was also a trans woman. And if you looked me up, you'd find I was also a lesbian. And, and an so activist. all of these things, and an <laughs> activist. And, you know, really, do I need all of this in my company? Right. right? Yeah. So there's that concern that you're taking on all of this extra baggage. And do I really need to deal with that? Maybe I'll take this other client. And there was actually a study done in the U.S. are blind. We'll get uh, pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, unfortunately. Um, so, but there was also a study done in the U.S., a blind study, and it actually showed that employers would take a less qualified individual that was not trans. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's a sad situation. It is a sad situation. Yeah. Uh, but in many parts of the country, um, or in the world, I'm sorry, uh, in many parts of the world, and particularly places uh, such as Russia and Ukraine and the Baltic states and down into Latin America and Africa, you know, we see that it is beyond that level of prejudice. There's just such open homophobia and transphobia yeah. that you just cannot be open. So yeah. you can't be yourself and work in your chosen field at the same time. Yeah. And I think that is very sad, and that's what we strive to do with, with Sanctuary Studios is to try and provide those people yeah. with meaningful work uh, in their chosen, uh, chosen field, exploiting their skills and, and experience. Well, good thing they got you, Michelle. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> good thing they got you. And I love that, you know, you came out six years ago and it's like, boom, she's like, she's like an activist and she's doing documentaries and she's doing, it's like, okay, world, look out because here I am. <laughs> I was shy for all that time, but now I'm here. I'm showing up and I'm showing up big. So that's uh, pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. But <laughs> part of it too is because I lost everything. Yes. I've got nothing left to lose. Yeah. Right. So yeah. part of my, um, yeah, that visibility, if you will, part of stepping into all of this is what else do I have to lose? Let's just do this. And if I can do this, if I can make the difference in one person's life, if I can stop, you know, one person from wasting another single day living in fear or not being their true authentic selves uh, out of fear, um, then I'm a happy girl. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so that's that's certainly where I started with my advocacy work. The activism come a little bit later and then the documentary films. I never planned to make documentary films. I was in video production for a long time doing commercial work. Yeah. Um, but the documentary film was quite by accident. And um, but I'm so excited. Right. And, and what you do is when you step into that power and when you step into that authentic self, the universe just suddenly starts presenting all of these different opportunities for you. Mm -hmm. And I just chose to say yes more often than I chose to say no. Good for you. You know, I, I think that uh, much of mainstream America, Canada, whatever, got a little bit of an understanding about what it is to be transgender watching Jazz Jennings. And I think that, you know, she's a young girl. Uh, we, we, we watched her, you know, go from 12 to 16. I think she's, I don't know, she's 16 or 17 now. And, and a lot of the considerations and the problems that, that go along with her, she, she brought some of those out. Now, I'm not going to 
we're not going to talk about surgery or anything like that, but being young and being, you know, in your fifties and transitioning and being um, a young girl who, who doesn't have to go through puberty. And that was her biggest fear. I, I can't go through puberty. Please don't make me go through puberty. I don't want to do that. And she had a couple of friends who did go through puberty and were having a very difficult time in high school where even though she was having a difficult time, she really looked and sounded more female you know, more like a girl. So, cause she didn't, she didn't go through, she didn't transition through puberty. So what would you say, you know, being at the age that you are today and looking at the younger, younger people, is there any advice for them or, you know, knowing what you went through like your whole life, like, what would you say? Um, I don't know that I have a lot to say now. You know why? Because the youth of today have a lot to say for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I love that, right? So, you know, what we see uh, in schools throughout the country are gay-straight alliances. These are student-led groups, GSAs, mm-hmm. um, that embrace the diversity. Uh, you know, we never had that kind of thing when I was going through school. And we also have, a, a you know, a much, much, much uh, bigger awareness now of trans issues, of, of trans as, as, as an existence, as, as and, and validating that that exists and it's true and it's right. real and it's not a psychiatric disorder. Um, and, and so now what we're seeing is, is parents too, and I truly admire the parents that do this. I, I work with some um, who embrace their child and allow them to explore their, their gender identity and, and to be able to share with the world their sense of self at an early age. Um, And, you know, puberty is a critical time because puberty is when we have all of those nasty changes one way or the other. Uh, And so for a trans child going through puberty is hell, total hell. I recall it. I remember it. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, And what about like, so the doctors and are the doctors on board? Are they, you know, does it, are they few and far between or, or can you just go to your family doctor and say, Hey, this is what's happening. Don't make me go through this. Well, this is one of the big changes that's happened uh, since uh, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau took over, uh, is that we've seen that the gatekeeper, which was um, uh, CAMH uh, in mm-hmm. Toronto, uh, yeah. and we're just seeing that here, so I can talk about it here. Uh, but we now see that there's uh, over 800 uh, family doctors across the province um, uh, that are are now able to uh, to work with trans kids. So it's much easier now oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. to be able to go and work with uh, your family doctor. Now, they may not have the skills and experience to mm-hmm. work with you directly, but what they do is then they work with uh, their peers, um, endocrinologists and uh, and other doctors, and but still continue to provide primary health care uh, at a local level. And that is critical. It's absolutely mm-hmm. critical that that be available to youngsters. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm glad that that's happening. Although I could talk about our health care. <laughs> well, not gonna I, go know. There. I'm I know. Not gonna go I'm, there. I'm not saying it's perfect by <laughs> any stretch. <laughs> and talk about talk about um, you know it's it's not it's not a disease. Uh, on the weekend, oh okay. Well, we're going to go to break. We'll we'll talk about this when we come back. Surely you guys have heard the the about. Yiannopoulos. I mean, you've heard about this man and how crazy he is, and he's pulling some big ones out of his butthole, I'm going to say. So when we come back, we're going to talk about that. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back with Michelle Emson. Mission Unstoppable. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. It's Marching Dance 
have a book titled The Art of Doing Nothing by Veronica Bien in our guest room by the bed. I'm telling you, this book is an impossible challenge. In the state of Maine, it's said that someone who bottoms chairs for a living is lazy, presumably because one's bottom is perpetually in the chair. To sozzle means to laze around or perform a task in a sloppy way. The word is mainly found in New England. A quote from 1848 describes the term as used by housekeepers in certain parts of Connecticut to refer to a lazy person. Other words for lazy people are abbey lubbers, scabberlatchers, and slaughter pooches. To me, the ultimate loblolly is someone who is too lazy to even think like they're working. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. What has less than 50 calories per serving is rich in potassium, B vitamins, beta carotene, and a great source of fiber? It is pumpkin. There are many fabulous ways to reap the benefits of this winter squash from October to February. CNN reports the pumpkin is nearly 90% water, and one cup of canned pumpkin has 7 grams of fiber. Fiber slows digestion and will help you feel fuller longer, which is fabulous for weight loss. It has nearly 20% of the daily vitamin C requirements, which is wonderful for your immune system. They also state that pumpkin can lower cancer risk and help keep your skin younger looking. But one of the most beneficial reasons to enjoy pumpkin is that it packs over 200% of the daily recommended intake of vitamin A and other antioxidants that help prevent macular degeneration and cataracts. And we're back, Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. We're here with Michelle Empson, and we're so glad that you're here, too. Thanks for sticking around. Well, we're back. We were just, we left, I left you with a comment about um, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, and, and I shared a story um, on Bill Mayer's, uh, on, on his show with Michelle uh, earlier in the week, and um, that this this guy is just out of control, and and it got so bad on the show that um, Larry Wilmore just had to tell him to f off because <laughs> you know, he was he was such a such an ass. But you know he talks about he's gay. He talks about gay being a disorder. He says that trans is a psychological disorder, and he's just out of control. And he has a mouth that just needs to be washed out with soap, really. Um, but he was kicked off Twitter, and and this weekend he was supposed to speak at a conference, and they finally pulled the plug on him because he talked about how how it benefited him from a police molesting him when he was a teenager, and that the idea of 13-year-olds having sex with older men is a good thing. So he has now been shut up, hopefully. <laughs> oh, I don't think we've heard the last from him. No, probably not. But – as, as he should be shut up. He I mean, he's, he's doing nobody anywhere any favors, really. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> no. But you know his, you know his success is based on that um, that rhetoric and 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 also on he strives and, and and thrives on this negative feedback. I mean, we heard it on the Bill Mayer show um, after uh, after Larry Wilmore, you know, told him to f off. He was then seeking right everyone on that panel to tell him to F off. Yeah. That's what he wanted. He wanted that. And he was 
plainly asking them to give him that, right? So yep. that sensationalism is his platform. Um, but it is extremely damaging. He said some very damaging things during uh, that that segment um, and and absolute untruths. And uh, it's it's hard to uh, to see that going on. It's very it's not, difficult. Yeah. Let's go to pleasanter things. But I did want to bring Good. him up. Michelle, <laughs> Michelle has been selected as a finalist for the prestigious 2017 Mompreneurs Momentum Award. And they are a organization that are 20,000 strong nationwide in Canada, an organization of female entrepreneurs. And you are a finalist. So how do we find out when you win? Oh, my gosh. Um, check my Twitter and Facebook on March the 4th. Uh, we have a two-day Mompreneur conference in Toronto. Uh, I think there's something over 300 female entrepreneurs coming in for uh, two days of learning and networking and experience, and it's just going to be absolutely fantastic. Um, the uh, organizers and the CEO, uh, Maria Locker, a fantastic friend of mine, um, is uh, is announcing the winners on the Saturday afternoon. She's making us wait to the very last moment. Um, but honestly, you know, the community, uh, we actually have a private Facebook group uh, of the finalists across mm -hmm. all four categories. And every one of us is unanimous in as much as we've already won, right? Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, who yeah. else is up in that? Who, who else is there? Like what, oh, what other business? Oh, my gosh. It's right across the board. Right yeah. across the board. Um, some fantastic people in there doing amazing things. Um, and um, I don't actually and have the what was the, the criteria for it, Michelle? What was the criteria? D well, being a female entrepreneur, somebody who, who does good things in the world or what? So the Momentum Award is, uh, so Mompreneur's Momentum is the nonprofit uh, arm okay. of the Mompreneur group. Nice. And, um, and yes, yeah, so they do some amazing community-based work. And so what they did was a couple of years ago or so, they added uh, the Mompreneur Award, uh, the Momentum Award, I'm sorry, um, for those businesses, those heart-led businesses that are focused on giving back in some way and, and non-profit organizations too, because we have some non-profits mm -hmm. uh, within the Mompreneur's uh, membership. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and... Um, and so that was the criteria. It was one of uh, A, being a mompreneur, um, B, having a, a thriving business, and, uh, and C, giving back, right? So uh, exactly, you know, what we do, but amazing things that we see uh, from other women in that group too. Awesome. And I just want to make sure that we get your, your um, website in. It's sanctuary-studios.ca. Yes, it is. And we can, people can reach you if they want to talk to you at info at sanctuary-studios.ca. Absolutely. And I welcome all, uh, all messages and yeah, love to hear from people. You can find me on Facebook too. I'm easy to find there as well. And Michelle, if people wanted to get a job, if somebody was trans and, and really had a difficult time um, finding work, what kind of work might they look for with you or what might you be able to help them with? So I can help them with um, with a variety of things around digital marketing. So graphics design, uh, search engine optimization, uh, content management, right? So for uh, for blogging, uh, keyword research and ad management, because we uh, we manage Facebook campaigns for our clients and AdWord campaigns. Okay, um, so they don't even have to design. move; they could just stay at home and work from home. 
no, I'm a digital nomad and I created the company exactly on that model. I don't have yeah. a bricks and mortar because I don't know where I'm going to be. And yeah. so I have to be able to work from anywhere in the world, including 38,000 feet. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I, I'm the same. I think it's great. I think, it, I think it, that's what makes this world – I'm a techno ah, – I just love technology. So I walk. I have like three iPads and all kinds of stuff. I, I just think, I, yeah, I'm a Gemini. You know, you want to give us something wonderful, you give us something technological. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that that's it, it's just so much fun uh, to be able to uh, communicate with the world. And that's you know, this shows like that because we're all over the world because we're internet, and that's what makes it so exciting. It is exciting. And I've been working remotely for actually most of my career, um, certainly the last 30 years. Um, and, you know, I know how to leverage time zones, right? Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. And, you know, I, before I go to bed of an evening when I'm wrapping up work, I'm sending a brief out to my graphics designer in Ukraine. And by the time I wake up the following morning, they've sent me back the work and I'm ready to go, right? So, you know, those time zone differences that, you know, you might think work against you, they don't. You know, you can often leverage those and really make use of them. So I don't care where anybody is in the world, as long as they have a good internet connection, um, we're good to go. Awesome. And you, um, if somebody wanted to talk to you about your own personal story, let's say somebody you know, advice or things like that. Do you want them to write to you at, at Sanctuary or did you want them to find you a different way? Oh, no. Uh, you can Google me and find me easily, uh, michellemson.ca, uh, or just write to me, michelle at sanctuary-studios.ca. Um, I'd love to connect. And similarly on Facebook. Uh, you can find me very easily on Facebook there too. Yeah. What, what, um, what are you working on activist-wise now? Actually, I've got um, I've got a, two exciting projects that we're that we're trying to fund. So, you know, trans uh, transgender life in Slovenia was an interesting study uh, mm-hmm. of uh, ten trans and non-binary people from across the country. And what I did with that was I shot the their segments in their hometowns and villages wherever mm-hmm. possible, and totally loved that. Right, so we were actually in the middle of a square. Uh, having this interview, talking about uh, the trans lived experience in the country. I want to do the same thing here. I want to do it in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a project uh, in treatment. Um, we're trying to seek funding for it right now. And what we're looking to do is we're looking to interview uh, trans people from across the country, all the provinces, remote cities. You know, what's it like to be trans in Whitehorse, for example? Right. Yeah. Right. And we know that the lived experiences in different cities and different provinces is very, very different. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to to bring that together. And one of the really key things here is, you know, we speak about visibility and and Larry um, uh, spoke about this on on the Bill Mayer show, Mm -hmm. um, uh, how important visibility is Mm -hmm. in seeking acceptance. If we're invisible, if we're in the closet, if we're in hiding, if we aren't openly out in our community, how is anybody going to accept us? And this is true for any minority, right? It's not just LGBT. And so through the documentary films, what we do is we amplify the voice of those that are uh, willing, courageous, brave enough to to share some of this journey and story on film. Uh, And we use that as a way of of trying to increase awareness. Um, So making that accessible. And we've just seen that with Nat Geographic uh, and Katie Couric, 
with uh, with um, uh, the Gender Revolution documentary mm -hmm. that's just been released. Um, so we use that as a tool uh, to to amplify uh, what we're doing, yeah, and uh, and our visibility. Well, you truly are unstoppable. I love that about you. <laughs> yes, I and am. I, and, and on a on a side note, Michelle is the last chapter in I Beard My Chest, the book that I, I've mentioned a few times, maybe more on Frankie Sense and Mission Unstoppable. But it's a book, you know, where 21 women, uh, unstoppable women dig for bold and share their naked truth. And I'm so excited that she um, has joined us in, in our book and is the 21st woman. So I'm proud of that. Oh, and, <laughs> and I'm so, so honored, so honored to be a part of that project because I love it. I love that. And, you know, the other 20 authors on that project are all truly incredible women doing amazing things. And uh, to to be a part of that group is is an honor. And so thank you very much for um, well, for inviting me to that. I'm looking forward to it. You. And yeah, I've almost well. written my chapter. Oh, yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, you have been apart from your, from your uh, fiancé for a little bit. We've got two minutes left, but uh, Olena's coming back, you said, in March. And... Uh, do you, do you have a wedding date planned? No, we don't. No, okay. but it's probably about time we thought about that. But um, you want to say it uh, on air? <laughs> oh no, 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 no! I don't think I could get away with doing that. No. Um, <laughs> okay. No, we will. Uh, we will. It will happen. Uh, it'll likely happen here in Canada. That's the most likely place for it to uh, to occur. But um, we'll see. No, right now we don't have a, a, a definite date. We're just way too busy doing what we're doing. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, she's a, a very, very active activist, working across Ukraine, um, in particular, um, but also elsewhere in Europe. Uh, and helping us uh, here in Canada. Um, so she's also a representative of Ukrainian LGBT in, in a lot of activities that are going on uh, here in Canada. Um, so, yeah, one of these days we'll get around to it. Yeah. <laughs> do, you think, do you think things are getting easier? Uh, getting easier? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the biggest part is to, is to just show up. I mean, I've moved up into Muskoka, a most unlikely uh, place for me yes. to, uh, to call home, I guess. A very rural community, very seasonal community, but has been just wonderfully embracing. And, uh, and most of that is just because I show up and mm -hmm. we can all do that. We can all just, uh, you know, step into our authentic selves, step into our power, step into our energy and show up in the world. I love that. You've been listening to Michelle Emson. You've heard her story. I'm, you've, I'm sure you've fallen in love with her just like I have. And I want to thank you again, Michelle, for being a guest today on Mission Unstoppable Radio. Thank you, Ben, for producing the show. And thank each and every one of you for tuning in as you do each and every week because I do so appreciate you all. Stay unstoppable. We'll see you next time on Mission Unstoppable. When the chips were down, they didn't stop. Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time, and always remember... Don't, 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 don't stop.